for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Siobhan Luca. How's it going today, Siobhan? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, first off, I want to thank you for joining us. I know we had you on um, for our Pancreatic Cancer Foundation, which was a huge success, and I was really excited to see after... I kind of regrouped after that madness. I uh, went back and looked at the schedule and I was really happy to see that you were on the uh, schedule for January and uh, we could sit down and chat a little bit more and go into a little bit deeper depth about what you got going on, all the new music you released in 2021 and what your plans are for 2022. So, yeah, cool. But for the uh, people that are just getting to know you or didn't get a chance to see the uh, Pancreatic Cancer Fundraiser, uh, kind of take a second to introduce yourself and uh, like what your introduction to music was. Yeah, um, my name is Siobhan. I perform as Siobhan Luca. That's my first and middle name. Um, and I've been playing for about 16, 17 years now since I was like a teenager, like many, many musicians, many artists, many people in general. Um, I got kind of introduced to making music and, and to like kind of doing more like pop music and indie music and rock music, that kind of thing. Uh, right around then when I was 16, when I got together with some friends and they wanted to make a band and, you know, that was really cool <laughs> as a high schooler. So I was like, okay. And, you know, there was a little bit of a progression getting involved there, but I grew up with music. My parents kind of made me play piano and stuff uh, when I was growing up and I didn't like it at all at the time, but very very grateful for that gift now you know because it kind of snowballed into a whole a whole i guess thing um you know and i, and I love making music now so um yeah but i'm a i'm a so i'm an independent singer songwriter producer uh, my favorite thing to do now it's been you know 17 years so it's been quite an evolution at the time i mostly enjoyed performing and and wanted to be you know a rock star like the classical 70s sense of a rock star but now my deepest love is uh actually mixing songs on the computer. It's like super fun and so hard and endlessly frustrating. And I don't really have a proper education in it by any means. So it's kind of like a, a project that never ends. But I double as a scientist, I actually work full time as a, as a researcher. Um, and I work in, um, in uh, basic neuroscience. So like how how kind of circuits are put together right now. I work in uh, Drosophila, which is a that's tiny little fruit fly, the ones that you get on bananas. Um, and looking at how some circuits are put together in there. So, you know, it's a time is always an issue and I'm hoping to, you know, have a family one day and stuff like that. So there's a lot of competing interests, but um, yeah, that's a little bit about, about me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I do remember now uh, that you brought up last time that you were a scientist. I didn't, I don't think we talked about specifically what you studied, but I remember you brought that up last time. Um, so that that's really cool. And like you'd mentioned, obviously competing a lot for your time and uh, how do you kind of balance all that? Well, people ask me that all the time. And then that, you know, when I think when someone, someone meets you from, you know, that doesn't know you and they're like, wow, how can you do, you know, 
science and music? And the answer is you don't, you, you know, okay. everyone's a person, right? So if, okay. you, if you did it, you could do it too. You would just have to adjust how much you were doing each one. And so, you know, it's been a really slow, it's not, the, the truth is that when you're young and idealistic, you think you can do a lot. And so I was like, I came to LA thinking I'm going to do my, so I'm going to do grad school and I'm going to also become a rock star at the same time. And, you know, both of them took a lot longer and yeah. you know, aren't really ever complete. So that is very true. Very, very true. Um, so you're in LA based out of LA now, uh, where are you from originally? Um, I'm a California kid. I don't know if I'd fare well anywhere else. I grew up in Davis, California, close to Sacramento. Okay. And um, small little town, and it's it's really nice though. It's kind of liberal and educated, but small, so it's a it's a nice little kind of fusion there. Close enough to close to Sacramento, which is really not a big city, but pretty close to San Francisco. And then I went, I spent five years in Berkeley, and that was I feel like I kind of found myself a lot during those years in college, and then I came to LA about ten years ago. So. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you're a hundred percent California. Northern California, all the way down to Southern California. Yeah, you've got to see the pretty much see the entire state for better or for worse. That's right. That's awesome. Um, so kind of moving forward, as you so your mom or your family kind of forced you into uh, I use the word forced, but that that seems like an accurate description. End up learning how to play piano. And then you were kind of grateful for that later on in life. Uh, what other instruments are you fluent in, or did you start to learn as you were going through your musical journey? Um, well, I play uh, keyboards now a bit, and that's you know direct. Well, here we go. It's the keyboard directly from the you know piano background. Um, but I actually, mostly play guitar. Um, mostly, I, I I play mostly by myself now. So like. I write songs on the guitar mostly uh, and singing. You know, and it, it comes with like a, you know, you just, often there's like a little hook that has the, you know, guitar and the melody kind of already implied. And then I write around that and then I put something into the computer and then I try and, you know, build a song around it or maybe I build the whole song before I start recording. Um, my, forced is a strong word. My parents were really <laughs> amazing to, you know, yeah. pay for music lessons and all that. So, they definitely, you know, but I do remember being lazy. I yeah. am still lazy. So, you know, it's good. I just didn't want to practice and stuff. So I was trying to quit. That's more what I meant. But okay. yeah, but I picked up the guitar at 16. And I think that's, that's always good. Cause that's, you know, that's kind of like a, iconic and what people want to yeah. hear. I know it's like, so it's a lot of fun. It's a cool yeah. instrument for guitar. For sure. We'll use strongly influenced. Is that, is that a little bit more accurate? Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, force isn't even wrong because I couldn't quit. So, <laughs> Gotcha. Gotcha. It was just, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so where are you kind of at? Like, I know you released a whole bunch of music in 2021. You released a few different singles. Uh, what would you kind of just, because I know there's a whole bunch of it. What'd you release in 2021? Oh, that's a good question. In 2021, it probably, I don't know if I released anything until my EP. So I was probably working for the first half of the year. I was working on this EP uh, called The 11th Quarry. And um, and then I released that, I think, at the end of July. Um, and then there was a bit of a break, and I was working on these songs, uh, including By My Freedom. Um, but then since that time, actually, so that was actually about, I think that song came out mid-October. So it hasn't mm -hmm. been that long, but it's been a little while. 
I've had a lot of mu music since then, but I was going through a lot in my personal life actually, and I, I couldn't couldn't quite get it all the way through to like releasing it. It was more of like an emotional psychological barrier than anything else. Um, so, you know, I've been lamenting for a long time about needing more skills or resources, but those are kind of like kind of like accepting where I'm at with those. But uh, I've been exploring this like a, a, you know kind of like emotional connection with your work and what you're doing with it and stuff and. Uh, so that's kind of what's been churning for me, but it's getting to a much better place. And I have a lot of work now that I'm really excited to share. So I just need to figure out how to do it. Awesome. And so now that you've kind of got this back catalog, that's ready to be released. How, how do you kind of prepare for that? How do you prepare for the release? I, what, what's kind of going through your mind right now as you, as you prepare for the release? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't really know. That's the thing. I feel like most indie musicians don't really know if there was a good formula, we would all want to plug into it. Um, but I did actually, uh, I did actually work with a management team for several months, and they helped me just design release strategies. So that's pretty cool. I would like send them, you know, a song with the lyrics and stuff, so they could get a feel of the song, or the person I was working with could get a feel of the song. Then she'd shoot me back an email with like ideas of different social media strategies to, you know, here's a little funny little video you could post that makes, you know, that's somehow connected with your song. And so I dream of doing that kind of thing and the regularity of posting, the kind of creativity of content uh, creation is really fun. Um, but it's like so much time and effort that it's like, I don't know if I can really properly do it. So I've got to like settle on what I can really do and then like do that and just let that be and try not to let it take too much time away from making the music because yeah. it's like, you know, a whole thing to yeah. promote. So. Gotcha. Good. Um, so are you, as far as what you have, do you think, would you see it more at, like, obviously you'd mentioned that you, you, you're still kind of planning a release strategy but do you see it in the vein of just doing singles or do you see you have enough for like an ep and lp like where's your mindset kind of on that aspect of how or how you release it as far as singles eps lps i was just thinking about that last night actually i mean i really don't know what to do i've got six songs now i was just counting that are like pretty darn close to ready to go um, and that's definitely enough for an EP. And I don't honestly almost like to work for a few more months and get maybe a couple more songs in there and make it almost a full album. Um, and I love to think like that. I like to think with a nine track mind or like a, you know, 10, 12 track mind or something like that. Um, cause albums are great. You know, it's the, the like, you know, artistry of like a whole album and with all the songs together, it's like, you know, kind of more than the sum of its parts. So it'd be really cool to do that. But I feel like it's actually uh you know people these days the way we consume media is so kind of like fast it might be better to just kind of roll it out slowly yeah. so the goal is to get people to listen to it and connect with it so maybe i don't know something like that yeah for sure you know and it's it's that weird like i, I have this conversation with a lot of the musicians we have on here like the release strategy as far as if you're releasing singles eps lp you know like however you want to release it it should be more based on what your live schedule looks like. And if you're out like in different places on a consistent basis, then maybe a full album makes sense because 
then you have like that hard copy thing to sell at shows or whatever. But if you're more of once a month and you're playing just locally in town or you don't travel too far outside your area, then yeah, just kind of keep doing singles because releasing a full album, you're not, yeah, you're, you're not really, you're blowing your wad in one felt swoop right there. So yeah, that, that, that's kind of my whole thought process on it. And um, a lot, a lot of musicians seem to agree, but you know, it, it just kind of depends on what their live schedule looks like. And obviously with the pandemic, there hasn't been many, many live shows going on, or I mean, at least initially, but now it seems like they're kind of picking up a little bit. So um, what is your uh, show schedule looking like? I, I know you are, are you doing in-person live shows right now? Are you doing live streams? What's your live show situation kind of looking like? Yeah, it's been such a weird, weird world for a couple of years now. Um, I, uh, my live show, my live schedule is mostly it's, um, so I live stream every Wednesday, which is really fun. That's, that's probably like the highlight of my week. I love to, to do that. Uh, my mom's there, you know, my sister, when she can come. So, um, that's really fun. Every Wednesday, 5 PM Pacific time on all, all the platforms. I'm on. Basically Instagram seems to be the most popular. Um, but I'm playing live a bit. I've played mostly in the last year i've played mostly hired gigs so like private events weddings corporate stuff that um hired me out to play for a, you know, a party of some sort um and that's felt pretty safe because as the performer you're often a little bit isolated from the rest of the crowd um but there's you know uh there's the live shows you know we've been through a lot <laughs> obviously in these two years so there's been waves and bumps so there were there were definitely some times where i started to get out there and play a little bit in like bars or venues in LA. Um, but it's kind of quieted down already. And, and I don't know where it's going from here. I want to start playing. I want to have a show in February or March, just for my own artistry, just with all these songs I've been writing, but I honestly don't know if it's a good idea. So we'll, we'll see. Fair enough. But, that, makes, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like with the uh, current state of things, you just never know how people are going to feel especially being in person, you know? Totally. So. Well, that's been really hard, but with the, you know, silver linings, like the live stream capabilities have kind of like gotten so much better as like, you know, COVID has kind of killed off our live events. So at least there's that. And I feel like there's a lot of work and, and fun stuff I could play with on live streaming. Like I've never really played the keys, the keyboard on, on my live stream. I could definitely, you know, and you can, since you're playing through the computer, you have access. If you do a little jumping through hoops, I think you have access to fun sounds, you know, you yeah. can play electric pianos and things. So. Yeah. so you primarily live stream on Instagram. Have you thought about jumping over to Twitch? That seems to be the very popular thing right now. So I rest I use restream.io and there's a couple of them that do that. And now I'm sure, I guess, yeah, you probably know everything about that yeah. being a streamer, but um, yeah, so I've been using Restream and I'm, I'm I, uh, an OBS and um, I do stream to Twitch as well, but like, I don't really know how to increase my viewership on any of the platforms, to be honest. So it's just kind of going there and I have a couple of random viewers that trickle in and I always think I'm like, oh, it must be this friend. And then I'll ask them and they're like, no, I didn't even know you're doing that. So yeah. it seems like it might be a random person, but, uh, I would love to reach more people. Yeah. 
and I think that's just um, as far as like the tour, the just the basic promotions of hey going on instagram or whatever hey i'm gonna be live on twitch tonight at five you know like whatever whatever it is and that seems to work and now that instagram has that nifty little feature that you can uh attach a link to a story uh without having to do the swipe up thing you know so they like just got a little uh like you can attach a link to it which is really cool and should help a little bit um maybe give that a try as well. So are yeah. you simultaneously streaming to Twitch and Instagram, or is it just kind of one or the other, depending on? Well, that's what I'm doing right now is I simultaneously stream to like a bunch of places like YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So that's what the, that's what restream will allow you to do, but I'm not sure that that's like the best strategy. I mean, um, yeah, it limits how much I can interact with each platform. So usually I'm like watching properly on Instagram. So I see everyone coming in through there. But other than that, it's just kind of like a viewer tally count. Yeah. Um, so. Gotcha. I mean, it does make sense to just be as many places as you can because each different social media platform has their own active viewer base. Like the people that are on Instagram may not be on Facebook. And may not be on Twitter, you know, so it definitely has its own unique viewership, which is interesting, but it also opens the can of worms that you just brought up about not being able to interact with each individual social media stream, unless you got people that are just on their phones interacting for you. Yeah. Or you're talented enough to do that all yourself and have four screens open and be able to kind of watch all the comments. I need more devices. <laughs> <laughs> that, that just sounds like a nightmare to be honest with you. Cause I've thought about switching from zoom over to restream and doing something uh-huh. like that just to, cause uh, a lot of people ask me for the podcast, if it's available on Instagram or if it would be available on Instagram, it's like, no, we don't really stream to Instagram. Maybe we should start streaming to Instagram. I don't know. It that That's just kind of a thing that I've been, toying around with in my in my head for at least 2022 so yeah but anyways um so let's talk about your uh product your quest to start producing or your quest to produce your own music and that ever uh ever growing learning curve that's going on there uh when did you start taking um an interest into producing your own music or just producing music in general um, well, that's such a nice question. Like, I think, I don't know if I was really, I, I think I always thought it was so cool. Like, you know, when I was 16 and people would describe or show like a piece of gear and here's all these ins and outs and, you know, just looking at those electronic gear is like, was like super cool and thinking about it. So I always thought it was really cool, but I never really thought of myself as really wanting to like really having a passion for sound engineering or wanting to really be the guy in the studio. I always wanted to be kind of more of a musician or an artist. Um, but I just, I thought at the time I was like, well, I have no idea how I'm going to make anything like this happen. I should just do everything I can possibly think of. And I had a lot of resistance from my parents. So it was kind of like side trying to like skirt around things. And so I got a job at a recording studio when I got to UC Berkeley and it was, uh, you know, I was hoping we were going to be in there recording awesome bands and I was 
know, learn how to use like a big mixing board, just like I saw in the movies. But in reality, we were just taking like these old tapes of, um, there was actually a lot of funding given in the like 1960s or so to uh, UC Berkeley to document both uh, ancient languages, especially Native American languages that were in danger of dying out and probably have died out by this time, as well as songbirds and bird calls. So there were just tons of this reel-to-reel -reel tape just sitting in storage from graduate students from the 1960s that, um, that had recorded all of this material and then just dumped it in storage because they didn't have anything to do with it and now computers had come around you know 50 40 years later i was at berkeley and so they were paying us as student student helpers to just digitize it and put it on the computer so that was my introduction to uh, electronic equipment and recording and stuff and so i kind of got in really interested in that stuff thought it was really cool the way that you know magnetic filings are aligning and that's somehow storing audio content it was like wow i still don't understand that too well um you know so that kind of got me interested in some of the basics. And then I also started to learn how expensive and prohibitive it is to like do, do that stuff. Um, so I was then using the studio a little bit for my work, but also learning how to get some cheap equipment. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. And, you know, here we are in 2022. And I'll say that like, my God, it's amazing that we can do what we can do now at home. Like, you know, I'm just in my studio apartment here in Westwood in LA and I, I don't really need anything except to be better. I need to like learn some skill for sure. But like the, I mean, I've spent a fair amount of money and a lot of time learning a little, you know, and I'm not that good. I've, I've learned a little bit about how to produce and you can do an amazing job. You can create amazing masters in your bedroom now. And you just really could not do that in 2000. It was just too expensive. Like you yep. couldn't get these equipment and have all these plugins. So, yep. so yeah, so it's almost like, you know, I definitely got more interested in the mixing. And I've always loved pop music and how well put together. There's a lot of work, right, that goes into, like, you know, crafting an art piece that's that well manicured. Mm -hmm. So I've always loved that. And as, as I started to learn what went into that, I started to grow an interest. And that was kind of organic. But I kind of also feel like I just rode the wave of the zeitgeist, which is just that, like, all this equipment and ability is, like, is approachable now. And that you really just you had to like go and work in a studio or something in the 2000s. So. Yeah. You, you touched on something really interesting there about how the equipment now, like nowadays the equipment's there and you can eat like right now I'm doing this entire thing through a zoom H six, which is an interface. And like, if you think about what it would take to host an interview like this back in 2000, it's like, yep, you'd have to have a little soundboard. You'd have to run it through your computer. And now I, like, I, the only reason it's plugged into my computer is because I needed to connect to the Zoom. But other than that, I could literally walk around with this thing and interview five people at a time. And it's not a thing. Um, but nowadays, it's more about honing your skills and knowing, okay, I've got all these instruments. What do I do with them? Or how do I use them? Or how do I incorporate them? So it's yeah. more about having to know more about the skill instead of trying to figure out how to do it as well. Whereas back then you had to know how you had to have the skill, but you had to have the know-how of what or how to record it. Yeah. So you, you touched on that and I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, really changed a lot. Yeah, it's for sure.
Um, and so you, what is your current home setup for, uh, like recording your music right now? What, what are you using gear wise or what have you? Oh, um, well here I'm, I'm, you're, you're looking at my studio. It just, it doesn't have a very wide angle lens, but yeah. I record into my computer. I bought, I have a Mac mini. Uh-huh. It's the Intel style and it's been working great for me. It's pretty tricked out. It was a little expensive, but, um, you know, Mac minis production. are actually really underrated computers. I try and tell people that they're like, well, I can't afford a Mac. You can afford a Mac mini Mac mini. You can get a decent Mac mini for not an insanely expensive. Totally. I totally agree. And if I were to do it again, I would buy a different model probably. Um, but this is awesome. It's an awesome computer. I hope it lasts me 10 more years, honestly. Yeah. Um, maybe five. So I go into that. I go into Logic. Logic. I just use Logic because it's what I learned back when I was talking about going to that studio for the first time. It was just what we had in the studio, so that was what I learned. Um, I'd love to move to Pro Tools one day, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that for a little while because I got to learn it and all that. And yeah. All the sound banks. That's the main thing. Is I don't know. I find yeah. a lot of sounds again. Um, so yeah. So I record into Logic. I've got my little MIDI keyboard, and I record most acoustic instruments i record mostly through a mic now i used to plug them in directly into the interface sometimes like a di but i find that it's a lot nicer to record them with a microphone so yeah. i've got this really nice rode ntk i don't actually know which nt it is nta maybe it's yeah. one of the nice nicer i like it it's a ni- it's a it's a nice middling condenser mic and i think i'm sure everyone hears this a thousand times who's like into audio at all but like getting like a pretty mid-level condenser mic you can probably just stop there like you could do everything with that if you wanted um i also use this like what i'm talking to now which is like an older and cheaper condenser mic that i've dropped a thousand times and i use it more often than the nice one because it's mounted right here in front of me and the on the table and it's just convenient so that's kind of lame i've been thinking recently is that like stupid and like making low quality recordings for no reason um, so I use that and that, that's pretty much it. I'm trying to, I mean, I use a ton of, you know, plugins and stuff on the computer and I know a little bit about what I'm doing, but mostly I don't know what I'm doing. So, but you're, as you find yourself in a situation where you need to learn how to do something, are you going to YouTube or whatever? And like, Hey, I need to figure out how to make this bass sound but you know, like I, I, I'm just making something up here, but, um, yeah. are you going to like YouTube and going to the university of YouTube on that one? Um, I, I think I want to do that more again, actually. Yeah. I want to get back to the university of YouTube because I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos to learn a little bit about where I, what I know now, but like, I'm not, I've been recently pretty dissatisfied with the way some things are sounding in my mixes and it's just like it's it's not something where you can really like diagnose it that easily and figure out even what's going on because it's yeah. such an iterative process too and stuff and it's like by the time you're at the whatever draft you're on and you're like i don't really like the way this is sounding like who knows how you're gonna get it you know to a new place so i don't know i'm i don't know i'm struggling with that i'm actually considering you know one day going back properly to school because yeah. um, the, so so. the issue that you kind of brought up with youtube is you've got to know what you got to try and fix on it to search for it whereas mm-hmm. if you have not a clue if it's sounding 
hollow or whatever and you don't know how to describe it or how to search for it it's just like youtube ain't gonna help you you know you still gotta have some basic knowledge but you brought up uh using logic and hopefully one day wanting to switch to pro tools you if you're looking to properly go back to school and get an education on it that may be the time to switch because i think most schools will probably not force you into pro tools but teach you teach you in pro tools and i know the um that's the issue with uh myself and um my partner in this uh jeff he uses pro tools i use adobe audition because that's what i've got i'm not paying for pro tools um and he he gets mad at me because like the way i do things in audition is like a hundred times different than the way he does things in pro tools so when we send stuff back and forth he's like he's trying to tell me how to fix something. And it's like, I don't have that. I don't know. He's like, fine. I'll learn how to use audition just so I could tell you how to fix this. And I'm like, <laughs> cause it, it would, it's a lot easier for him to learn how to use audition. Cause he's got the proper education. He's been doing audio production for 10 years, you know? So he's, he's got all the experience. Whereas I just do the basic podcast or, maybe I'll mix an acoustic set because you've got two, maybe three mics and you're really not doing anything super complex there. But, you know, other than that, it's an, it's an interesting battle about what DAW you're using and uh, being able to jump in between. So people have been saying, I mean, Pro Tools has been like industry standard forever, but people say that like all the other DAWs are catching up and especially logic, which I think is really true because with logic, you can cite like actual examples of things they've added features they've added and things like that. Mm -hmm. Some competitive features that Pro Tools doesn't have, but it seems to me like the really pros use Pro Tools. So I think I want to one day just be on the same page as them, but you know, this is going to sound crazy because it is crazy, but I feel like it's louder. Like you can get a louder mix out of Pro Tools than Logic, and that can't be true. That's like that can't that doesn't sound possible. That that's like maybe a maybe you're getting a fuller mix out of Pro Tools. Maybe that's it, and that's why it sounds like. Wow. Or it sounds more present. Everything sounds yeah. more present. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Which the logic there doesn't make sense to me, but anyway. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That is an interesting thought though, because yeah, I I don't, I don't, I've never used logic. I've never touched logic. So I don't know what that's all about, but um, I have seen pro tool. I've compared pro tool mixes to my mixes through audition. And it's like, Hey, it sounds a lot better because the person mixing knows what they're doing. B I don't know. Just, audition for like the podcast and like simple stuff that's fine but when you're trying to do a 20 track mix with five drum mics and guitar bass you know all that stuff it's just like yeah i'm good on that i'll I'll leave that to the professionals um no that's cool that you're you're taking more of an interest in the production aspect i think a lot of musicians would really benefit from taking at least taking an interest maybe not necessarily learning all the ins and outs but when they're listening to a mix 
knowing how to express what they're hearing or what they don't like to a producer mm-hmm. or an editor would be really beneficial. Like if they're, if they don't like the fact that their voice is buried too deep into the mix or, you know, something like that, then they know how to explain it. Or at least try and get to the producer's level or the editor's level and be like, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. Am I hearing things or, you know, I don't like it. So I think a lot of musicians would benefit from a basic production course, I guess would be the best way to, Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like part of songwriting now almost, you know, I mean, in a sense, it kind of always is because like when you're writing, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to put put this chorus and you kind of think with the music and the words together, right? And if you just take it one more step with the production, you're like, okay, I'm going to want like kind of a loud cymbal rise and then it's going to drop out to this part of the, it's all at the end of the day a really nice piece of art is like one thing, right? And all of it, it works together. So it's, it's an impossible task. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but let's talk about uh, life outside of music a little bit. I know you brought up that you're a, that you're a scientist, you're a neuroscientist, right? Or. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so which has always been really interesting to me. I We might've talked about this during the pan can fundraiser for a brief minute, but I have a uh, cerebral palsy, which is a neurological uh, situation. And I've always been really interested by the idea of neurogenesis. Mm-hmm. Not to get too deep into the weeds for people that want to sit here and listen to us talk about music. But, um, you know, I've just got, like, I found out about it six seven eight years ago or so and i've been really intrigued by that theory is it a, is it a theory or is it a proven fact that neurogenesis it's a fact so neurogenesis just means like making new neurons mm-hmm. um and neurons you don't usually make new neurons mm-hmm. uh, i mean as an adult mostly we call them post mitotic so mitosis is when the cells divide and make you know, two copies of the same thing from yeah. one. Um, so uh, neurons are post-mitotic for the most part. So that means that like during development, when during like embryonic development or in, to some extent, probably during a child's life, I'm pretty fuzzy on these. Like definitely there's more neurogenesis in children that the brain is continuing to develop and you're generating more cells, you're generating more neurons that are continuing to develop into the organ. But by the time you reach a certain age, which I, I don't know what that is, but it's a transition to adulthood, then neurogenesis really stops. Well, yeah. we used to say it stops, but now we found that there are a couple of regions of the brain where neurogenesis continues to occur, or at least it's you're capable of undergoing neurogenesis there. And I would say that that's about where the really strong knowledge uh drops off and that that's where the cutting edge of research is now but yeah um they know that neuro adult neurogenesis involved in learning and memory in adults i think it's basically like a really simplistic oversimplified way to look at it is that neurogenesis is good yeah and that like many things with aging a lot of those good processes start to work a little less well so mm-hmm. we've always thought with aging you stop having neurogenesis but in fact things like regular exercise eating well etc can promote your your brain's propensity to do neurogenesis, which can be involved in 
a lot of positive things such as better learning and memory um, yeah. and a lot of other things too that I can't remember unfortunately yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> but yeah I I now remember where I started originally learning about neurogenesis and adult neurogenesis what or where I first started getting an interest it was when I saw the most recent remake of Planet of the Apes mm. Mm -hmm. there there was a whole like that was how they the in the first movie that was how the apes got smarter or yeah that that's oh is that right yeah so they like put new brain cells in them or something they they give him something to they give him some kind of medicine or something to uh uh, generate neurogenesis and now they're like super super humans essentially so and when I saw that, it was just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And then I started Googling neurogenesis and it's like, oh, this is a real thing, not a fake Hollywood uh, storyline that they're just kind of making things up. But mostly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, so th- that's always really interesting. I, I do love I, I do have I have been taking an interest in neuro uh, neurogenesis and just kind of. Uh, studying it a little bit i'm not a scientist so a lot of the big words just go right over the head there but yeah we all yeah i uh i uh, i look them up and i try and make sense out of it so you know, one thing i'll say is that it's it's been really great to work in science but it's hard and making progress is really hard and the type of research i do is very very basic research um and so it can be hard to feel connected to like, why am I doing it? There's a lot of sacrifice involved in it of many sorts. It's very mm-hmm. difficult work for lots of reasons. And it, it, if you're not tied to, if you're not grounded in your reason for doing it and you're not really connected to your purpose, it can be really hard. So I have thought a lot about shifting towards something more medically focused, biomedically mm-hmm. focused, where you can think, okay, today's experiments, they have to do with curing cancer. And I, I really can't think that way with my research right now. Um, so I'm considering making a, a shift in some way, maybe working at least on neurodegenerative diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you have to go back to school for that or? Um, that's a good question. I, I probably wouldn't go back to school at this point. There's just, that would be too much school, but I would have to learn and I would have to shift somehow. So it would be hard for me to get a job in a, like in cancer research, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I know like brain research pretty well, but you know, all the molecules are different in cancer, cancer research. So I don't know all the literature. Yeah. So I'd have yeah. to learn that. And then it might be a little hard to get hired as a researcher in cancer since I don't have the background, but it's totally doable. It's more a question of like, it's a big undertaking, you know? Yeah. So like if I decided to do that, I have to really commit to that path and then I'd have to work my butt off. So yeah, probably sure. won't do it for those reasons. Yeah, and you'd have to maybe put your music to the side for a little bit while you dedicate yourself. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, awesome, awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, uh, what what's kind of the outlook for twenty twenty two? Do you have any other outside the uh, live streams that you do? Do you have any uh, shows on the books? Uh, do you have any? What's the outlook for twenty twenty two? I have, a lot, I have a lot of hope. Um, I've really been wanting to share my music. I've been making all these songs. So definitely my hope for 2022 is to get some regular releasing going on and, and hopefully get some more ears on my music uh, and hopefully people just liking them. 
get get back to a really much more organic way of like trying to live my life in general and that really has a lot to do with music where i'm just making the music letting it go and not so focused on where it's going and this and that um but yeah yeah just a lot of hope for me and for everyone else especially artists but really just the whole world um a lot of hope for us for 2022 for turning a lot of things around Absolutely. I, I I really hope so. I hope I hope the turnaround happens in 2022. So um, but I do want to thank you for jumping on here and chatting with me for a little bit. Um, if anybody wants to check out your music that you released in 2021 or your live streams or anything else that you got going on, where's the uh, best place to do that? You can find it anywhere um, on any of your music distribution platforms that you prefer, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, all that. You just type Siobhan Luca. That's S-H-I-V-A-N. Second name is Luca, L-U-C-A, and I'm sure it'll pop up there. Um, you can find my uh, Instagram, Twitter. That's all at Siobhan Luca. Um, please follow me. I'll be posting more and stuff. And before we get cut off, Tom, thank you so much for this morning and for giving me this chance to uh, talk about myself for so long. That was very self-aggrandizing and fun. Absolutely. You know, it's it it's kind of funny because, so the reason that I have this one slot open on Sunday mornings so early is because I kept getting emails about, I don't have any slots available for people over in the UK. Oh. And, and so it's like, okay, well, I could put, like, because we have a pretty decent following in the UK, but we don't get a lot of musicians from there that jump on maybe one a month or so. Um, but nine times out of 10 people from not the UK take this 9am slot. And for whatever reason, the last four or five times they've all been out in LA and I'm like, are you guys insane? What are you guys doing? But it, it's just very funny to me. And you know, I, 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 I try, we try to accommodate everyone that we can. Thank you. And luckily by moving our show dates or our stream date or stream times to 9 PM, it accommodates a lot more people. It just kind of cuts out the UK, which is why we have this slot. But anyways, well, now um, I know to save this one for UK people. Oh, it, it, it's not a thing. It's just kind of funny because it's always, it seems to always uh, LA people sign up for this 9am slot. And it's like, all right, maybe LA people or California people are uh, morning people. I don't, I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> so th there's some logic to it. There's got to be a logic to it. Um, but I do really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us. And once you do kind of uh, figure out what or figure out the release strategy if you're going to do an EPLP, you know, just singles, kind of whatever that thought process ends up being. Would love to get you back on and chat a little bit more about your uh, new stuff that you're working on. That would be awesome. So, back at you soon. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we will catch you all later. Bye. Thank you. Cool. We are good. <laughs>